Okay, we are live on another edition of the Edlow Podcast. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. This is another exciting one for me because as anybody who's been listening knows, I love the Kings and I have the host of the Locked On Kings podcast, Matt George, heavily involved with uh, the Kings organization, has interviewed several of them, and I hope to get all of the dirt on everything going on. <laughs> and and I got to say, Matt, we, we've we been talking about doing this for a few weeks and there's been some scheduling issues. And man, I'm so glad we're doing it this week instead of last week after a four-game you know, winning streak rather than a five-game losing streak. Um, and so give me your sense right now of where the Kings are at. That game last night was a gritty win against a depleted, you know, depleted Memphis team. I think they have 72 players on the injured reserve. <laughs> so, you know, so give me your sense of where you think the Kings are at right now. Yeah, I, I was apparently in the minority last night because I was not pleased and okay with the Kings performance at all mm. in Memphis. Mm-hmm. I thought they played uh, very, very poorly and it had, it had little to do with the fact that the Memphis Grizzlies were as injured as they were. I mean, the expectation should have been that the Kings won that game and I'm glad they eventually did, but it's the way the Kings played. It's how I think they just didn't take it as seriously as I would have liked to see them take it. They turned the mm. ball over 19 times, just a lot of mental mistakes, unforced errors, uh, just things that that suggested to me that they weren't as hyper-focused as they need to be. Now, granted, I understand maybe it's easier to be hyper-focused for a game against the rival Warriors or a big game against a big opponent versus a Monday night in Memphis against a depleted roster. But mm. at the same time, like this... This Kings team hasn't really earned the right to take anybody lightly, and they're still trying to work more on themselves than they are against any uh, particular opponent. Mike Brown is trying to mold this team into a team that, at the very least, can make a deep playoff run and eventually can turn into a championship contender. So that performance in Memphis, yes, it's a win. Yes, it continues their win streak now to four straight games, but I was not pleased with uh, with with how they played. That being said, they are on a four-game win streak. They're uh, ahead slightly. They have the same amount of wins, but fewer losses at this point this year than they did last year. So all signs point to this team. If they're improving, it's only slight improvement, but still they're 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 a good established playoff team. But the ups and downs of this season, the big losses, the big wins, this team looks great, then they look terrible, then they look great, then they look terrible. The roller coaster of this year, I think, is just what this team is. Like that is just who they are. And until they either replace certain players on the roster or just kind of iron out who they want to be, or they get a a more developed Keegan Murray uh, two or three years down the road. I just think this, this inconsistent team is kind of what they are and and what they're going to be. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. I, I wanted to ask you about this because you're, I mean, you, you born and raised in Sacramento. So you've, you've, you've seen the ups and downs, mostly downs for the Kings. I mean, I've, you know, I've been, a Kings fan since 1985 when they got here. And I wonder how much of this is um, just <laughs> trauma from being a Kings fan where, you know, they, cause for years and years and years, they showed signs of life. They play a half really, really well. I mean, I'm talking about the bad years, right? Before Sabonis got here, they would play for a half really well, or, you know, you'd see signs of life from De'Aaron Fox or different things when he was developing. Then they just plummet, you know, and, you know, I think it's two years ago, if somebody would have told me, hey, in two years, you're going to be a legitimate playoff contender, like in contention, you know, not, you know, you're going to be in the, uh, it certainly, if anyone would have told me last year that they would have been the third seed, I'd have been stoked and taken the Warriors to seven games in the first, you know, in the first series, I would have said that's a success. Hmm. So I wonder how much of this is us expecting too much from the Kings two years into a development where they're starting to really show that they could eventually become a contender. What do you think? No, I think that's valid. Um, That's a mindset that I think is okay for fans to have. I don't think that's a mindset that's okay for this roster to have with the exception of De'Aaron Fox and Harrison Barnes. This entire roster is essentially only known winning in Sacramento. Mike Mm. Brown has come to Sacramento and made it very clear that he's here to win basketball games. He's here to try and win a championship. If not, what the hell are you coaching for? What are you playing for? So the expectations that that have been put upon the Sacramento Kings are expectations they've put upon themselves. I mean, it was Mike, it was De'Aaron Fox that were mentioning championship contention in the preseason and during training camp and media day. It wasn't Sacramento Kings fans. It wasn't Sacramento Mm. Kings media members. That Mm. being said, this is uncharted territory for so many of us, right? With the exception of the late 90s and early 2000s. 
We don't know what it takes to build a, a championship contender. Mike Brown does. So we have to kind of take Mike Brown at his word. And what Mike is saying is that as fun as it is to be a high uh, octane, high powered offensive team, there's not, it's not fun scoring a lot of points and then flaming out in the first couple of rounds of the playoffs. And I think he's been proven right by the fact that the Kings get into the playoffs last year. They take on a Golden State Warriors team, the top one and top two offenses in the league. And both of those teams struggled to shoot the basketball in the playoffs. Playoffs are just yeah. different offensively. And it, it's yeah. it's good to have a high-powered offense, but you need to have a good, solid, fundamental defense in order to go as far as you want to go. That is the expectation that Mike is trying to hold this team to. Now, I do think that Mike Brown has gone a little too far sometimes in emphasizing defensive improvement and taking away some of the strengths of the Kings. I think he's made mistakes at time with how he's, he's handled Kevin Herter, how he's handled Harrison Barnes. Um, but at the same time, like he, again, he knows what it takes to get there, and I don't. So I think Kings fans can, some of them aren't able to, but I think Kings fans can have the mindset of, hey, Happy to be here, right? And that's kind yeah. of what last season was. The beam is here. Enjoy the ride. Next year, there's going to be expectations. Well, now we're in that next year of expectations. Some Kings fans can say, hey, I'm happy to be a, a, just a, a multi-year playoff team for now. And then we can talk about championship another day. But inside that organization, inside that locker room, they're trying to set the habits now and build those habits now. That'll mean... Keegan Murray two years down the road is an elite defender helping this team win the championship or De'Aaron Fox. The next time he signs a max contract is, is, is opening another championship window. That's what they're trying to build today. They're not waiting until tomorrow. Yeah. Now I wanted to ask you, I don't know if you have any insight on this at all, but we, we know that uh, De'Aaron Fox kind of took a media fast for a while and wasn't, uh, wasn't talking to anybody. And there's been some reports that it might be personal. There were some reports that it might be the way, he kind of got criticized after that uh, that big loss where he they kind of sent Keon Ellis out to take all the questions. Um, do you have any idea on what what the issue was there? Yeah, it's a really strange situation. Um, De'Aaron has has declined to to comment on it, which is is his prerogative. Um, I, I mean, I think a lot of it was just unfortunate situations. Um, the the frustration amongst the media was not that. The Kings sent Keon Ellis out after the Kings got obliterated and they were down by 50 points at one point to the New Orleans Pelicans. It's the fact that that was the second time that they'd done that after being blown out at home. A couple mm. weeks before that, the Kings got beaten by the Boston Celtics, sent out Keon Ellis and nobody else. So poor Keon, mm. a two-way player who literally didn't check into the game until the Kings were down 40, almost 50 points. He comes in and goes like, I'm the one that has to answer questions here. And of course, he handled it like an absolute pro. But the frustration with the media is we can't just be hearing from these top guys after wins. And when yeah. there's these big losses, they're nowhere to be found. De'Aaron Fox being the star, being the guy, naturally the, naturally the intention goes to him. In reality, media, we were all asking for anybody who is a part of the rotation and certainly someone who is part of the starting lineup. Eventually, we talked to DeMontis Sabonis in the postgame. Overall, I think it was um, the, the Sacramento Kings media relations team is really, really good. I think it was a, a poor uh, performance by them, and mm -hmm. they put Keon in a tough situation. They put De'Aaron and other top stars in a tough situation, and I know guys don't want to necessarily talk to the media after every game, certainly not after you got your butt kicked. Uh, yeah. So I can relate and respect that. But I think it became a lot to do about nothing and the fact that it kind of continued over the course of that stretch where Sacramento was not playing well De'Aaron Fox not only wasn't playing well he didn't look healthy he didn't look right mm -hmm. I think it was just kind of a compilation of a lot of little things turning into something bigger than it had to be and I'm thankful that now that the winning has started and really since De'Aaron finally spoke to the media for the first time and Harrison spoke to the media for the first time after that long kind of media hiatus that that na narrative and that story has gone away and that's how it should be yeah. You know, it's interesting. So there's been a, um, well, I, I got to say, I thought it was really great to hear at the end of a win. I mean, Damana Sabonis yesterday put on a clinic when it came to rebounding. I mean, mm -hmm. 20 and 26 ties the record for, for rebounds by a King ever uh, with 26 rebounds. And when he gets to the post game, they, they start asking him questions and he said, yeah, the way we were playing was unacceptable. Yep. I mean, in a win. And I thought that was, that showed a lot of grit from Damana Sabonis. Um, and, and there's been some talk, you know, about all-star reserves. How big of a travesty do you think it would be if De'Aaron and Demonis were not on that roster for the reserves? 
Oh, it would be absolute malpractice by the league. And, yeah. and there, I, there, there's just no way that you can keep DeMondis Sabonis out of the All-Star game. I, you just can't. Like, he's he's putting up numbers that are second only to Nikola Jokic. He's, he's putting up numbers that that Oscar Robin, only Oscar Robinson did and, and, and breaking franchise records, 28 straight double-doubles, leads the league in double-doubles, second in triple-doubles. The points that he's putting up while also on a basketball team, these aren't empty stats or empty calories, as some guys in the Bay Area like to say. Like, mm-hmm. this is Domas being one of the best top premier centers in the league. And a lot of people uh, undermined what Sabonis did based off of one playoff series where he still didn't play that bad. He didn't play as good as he was supposed to, but neither did three-fifths of the Kings starting lineup. So Domas, for some reason, is criticized. And and like it's the same way a lot of people talk about Brock Purdy in San Francisco, although Sabonis Mm -hmm. has actually been there and done that before. But people still don't want to give him his flowers. It's always a yeah, but... In this case, yeah. like the league can't get away with Domas not making the All Star game. De'Aaron, I think there's like De'Aaron at the beginning of the season was playing like an absolute MVP candidate. He never had a chance mm-hmm. to win, but he was mm-hmm. he was amongst those guys. He kind of played himself out of that. Again, I don't think he's been a hundred percent. He's been playing hurt, bland, ba- playing banged up. Plus, he has a new baby at home, so there's a lot of things going on with De'Aaron. I don't think De'Aaron cares too much about making the All Star game or not. I don't think he's going to at this point in time. So I think, unlike last season, the Kings are only going to have one All Star, and he should absolutely be Demontis Sabonis. Yeah, you know it's interesting too because you also figure. I mean, Demo- uh, De'Aaron Fox is certainly the star of the team, and and he's an incredible scoring point guard. Um, but there's, there are a lot of point guards in the West. I mean, that are very good. And mm-hmm. so he has it. I think he also has a lot more competition at his, at, at his position than Sabonis does and Sabonis. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's surprising, especially considering how undersized Sabonis is not just height, but I mean, you know, I go to all the games and he, he, he actually is pretty leaned out right now, but he's, he's skinnier guy. Like he goes up against a Joel Embiid and I mean, he's, he is very undersized. And yet he's putting up these numbers. It's it's really a, a as a as a guy who played center, like I respect how how good he's he's playing. And so um, and and you know the, the other thing about the All Stars I found really interesting today it was it was noted that Darren Fox has cro- uh, has has uh, is in the top fifteen for jersey sales in the NBA, mm-hmm. which is pretty surprising for a Sacramento King. And then Demonis Sabonis is the top rebounder in triple doubles. You know, he has uh, – I think there's only two other players who's had more than 10 in, in multiple seasons, Will Chamberlain and Jokic. So, I mean, yeah, where's this due? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a good question with Sabonis. I think for Fox, like the big the big thing is with those jersey sales is I think that that shows that people are just finally paying attention. De'Aaron mm-hmm. at the start of the season was playing at a, at, at a new level and, and scoring at a new level. And he's had a boatload of 30-point games and a few 40-point games already this season. So De'Aaron mm-hmm. is certainly taking his game to another level when it comes to offense and it comes to scoring, which of course matters the most to, to most people around the league. But, I mean, the, 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 the playoff series against the Golden State Warriors was the first true long, consistent glimpse that De'Aaron Fox got by the average NBA fan. People probably knew mm-hmm. who he was from his time at Kentucky, but they thought he couldn't shoot a three-pointer based mm-hmm. off of his time at Kentucky. And he's turned into this three-point shooter that he is today while also being the speed threat. Plus, he's a great personality, and he just signed with the the, the, the Curry brand as well, uh, the branch under Under Armour. So, like, De'Aaron is just be, – he's building his brand by getting the recognition that he's deserved for years, but he finally got by getting that playoff stage. And it's very similar to – uh, to, to John Morant in a lot of ways. When John, the Memphis Grizzlies, made their first playoff uh, appearance and, and played really, really well, and John played like a superstar, and suddenly John Morant is a household name. I'd been saying for years, when De'Aaron got that opportunity, the same was going to be for him. Now, De'Aaron did it. They lost that series, took the Golden State Warriors, defending champs at the time, to seven games, and De'Aaron Fox did it while also breaking his, I think, index finger or pinky finger or something yeah. over the course yeah. of that series as well, and that slowed him down. Like Regardless of revisionist history the kings would have won if this or could have won or should have won if that that doesn't matter De'Aaron got his opportunity on that stage he performed and now people know what he's capable of doing and he's going to show it again when the kings get back to the postseason yeah you know um want to talk about what they need to do the trade deadline is coming up in under two weeks and what i found really interesting is we've all heard you know any kings fan has heard that right now Herder Barnes and Mitchell are all on the trading block. They're shopping them around. And suddenly signs of life from Herder, and especially 
Harrison Barnes. Mm-hmm. So do, do you think that the play that you're seeing right now uh, would make anybody pause on those trades for the right trade? I think there's always going to be a natural hesitancy with Kings general manager, Monty McNair, because that's just who he is mm-hmm. um, to, he's not going to make a move for the sake of making a move. He's only going to make a move that he firmly believes is going to make this Kings team better. And that's the mm-hmm. tough part is the Sacramento Kings are trying to improve by trading away good players for great players. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know how much they're willing to, to include draft picks in conversations. There were talks about how many draft picks were involved in the Pascal Siakam sweepstakes. Of course, Siakam ends up going to Indiana. Um, like there's, Which is a heartbreaker, by the way. <laughs> to some extent, yes, but also like it was a move where the Kings didn't feel comfortable giving up that many assets for a player that they felt confident wasn't going to re-sign. So Monty, yeah. again, is not going to make a knee-jerk move for the sake of of one season and any kind of rental. Like even the DeMontis Sabonis risk, trading Tyrese Halliburton for Domas, who had essentially two seasons to convince Domas to stay. Well, he only needed mm-hmm. one. He signed an extension this offseason before he even became a, a, a unrestricted free agent. So mission accomplished in that sense. But like my my feeling on this situation has it, it changes by the week. And it for the most part this season was I think the Kings are are kind of going to stay put at least yeah. early on because they have this roster of players that they want to see what they can do, get another playoff uh, series or two of context and experience under their belt, and then maybe make some decisions this offseason. I thought it was going to be diff- difficult for the Kings to find upgrades for the players that they were willing to make available. Keegan Murray is not going to be available, and every single team who the Kings are trying to go out and get a good player from is going to ask for Keegan Murray. It's not happening. Of course, Fox and Sabonis aren't happening. You're not breaking up the core of this team. Malik Monk's a maybe, but even so, we see how important Monk is to the future of this team, and the Kings are probably going to have to worry about re-signing him this offseason. So Sacramento's in a position where upgrades are going to be difficult. Mm -hmm. So instead of approaching this trade deadline as... You're looking for a a big name, a Kyle Kuzma, Jeremy Grant, another player to come in and and add to your core. Maybe this off or maybe this trade deadline is about finding guys that are six eight, six nine, six ten, athletic with a seven foot wingspan, and trying to bring those guys in to help you deal with the length of teams that you match up so poorly against, like New Orleans, like the Los Mm -hmm. Angeles Clippers. Maybe this is going to be another one of those overall underwhelming trade deadlines but that's the right move for this Kings team. I think there's three different ways that Monty can approach this deadline. Do nothing, do something small, do something big. And the Mm -hmm. more, even before these Harrison Barnes, big games and Kevin Herter, big games, I always thought that doing something big while it's what many of us want to see, it's probably the least likely scenario. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. And it's hard to, I mean, even just like the Siakam, you know, everything that was coming out about Siakam was kind of the problem that Sacramento has always had. And that, you know, Chris Weber even talked about when he got traded to Sacramento, he was just like, I don't even want to get on the plane. Mm -hmm. He didn't want to come here. And then he got here and he realized, you know, we, they really took to him and now he loved, he loved his time here. Right. And, and that's the problem is you don't have that. You don't have that luxury with three or four months on a guy who's basically telling you he's not going to, he's not going to do it. Right. And, you know, this has been actually Kevin Herter and, and to some extent Harrison Barnes has always been as somebody who's watched the game and watched, you know, been a season ticket holder for a while. They have been they have been the guys that I'm just I'm it's a hard time watching because I see Herter and the struggle he has on defense. I mean, their perimeter defense has been bad both years. Right. And it's he can't he can't fight past those screens very well. He's just he's just a little slow, a little, you know, and and he. He tends to, at least from what I see, seems to call the switch a little late. Like he tries to fight through it and then calls it a little late, which creates a little bit of a distance where people can hit threes. And then they're they're searching for him too. Like the Celtics game was the perfect example where they kept going to him. You know, Porzingis kept getting the mismatch on him and scoring. That's a and I don't know what you do. You know, last year Herder was doing so well from the three-point line and scoring so well that it kind of masked that. And this year he's kind of having a you know, he's having a down year. Uh, I don't know what you do to try to fix that. They took him off the, you know, they took him off the the starting lineup for a little while and he came back and seemed to be a little bit, you know, that kind of woke him up a little bit, but what do you think you do in that situation other than a trade to kind of mask that defensive problem? And Barnes, Barnes, the thing is, is he shows flashes of greatness, but 
let's be honest, he's he's a little older. He's a, he's a little slower. Yeah, this is where I think the mismanagement of of Mike Brown has has come into play a little bit. Is these are guys in, in the case of Kevin Kevin Herter specifically, these are guys that have very elite skills and very elite strengths on the offensive end of the ball, and you asking them to do more on the defensive end, while justified has taken away from what they do that so impacts your team. Now, I also think to some extent, believe it or not, De'Aaron Fox has hurt Kevin Herter. And De'Aaron mm. has done that by becoming a better three-point shooter. And mm. Kevin's elite three-point shooting skill and floor spacing hasn't been as necessary this season as it was last season. That being said, Kevin is in so many ways an ideal shooting guard for this offense. And mm. Harrison Barnes, with the size and the length, the Kings don't have many players at that position with that that body and that frame that Harrison presents. So, and, and it goes beyond those two guys. This is a roster that is primarily offensively gifted. And Mike mm-hmm. is trying to get them to play better defense. He's not trying to turn them into a great defensive team, but he's trying to build good defensive habits. And I agree with that approach. But, I mean, let's be honest, to some extent, Mike has hindered and shattered the confidence. Shattered isn't the right word. That's too aggressive. Mike has hindered and and and, and I think affected the confidence of Kevin Herter to some extent this season. And, and it began during the preseason when he lost his starting job temporarily to Chris Duarte. And then it happened again during the regular season. Now Chris Duarte isn't even a part of the rotation. Yeah. Um, and, and with Harrison Barnes, like a, a recent conversation now that we've seen these offensive uh, big games that he's had three out of the last four games, he scored over 20 points. Two of them he was in the thirties, one almost 40. Like mm-hmm. the biggest difference for Barnes to me is not the amount of points that he's scoring. It's the amount of shots that he's taking. Cause the game mm-hmm. before he dropped 30, he went, he scored two points on two shots in 23 minutes. And a lot mm-hmm. of us were blaming and, and, and frustrated at Harrison Barnes. My frustration with HB comes from, like, if there's games that you're not getting shots because there's so many other guys that are touching the basketball on offense and there's only so many shots to go around, that's fine. Grab some rebounds. Get some mm-hmm. assists. Make an impact on the defensive end. There were times where Harrison would play 25 minutes and have ones or zeros across the board in the stat line. That just simply cannot happen. But mm-hmm. I also put some of the blame on Mike Brown and the Kings because – Harrison is not a player that only stands in the corner and takes two shots a game. Yes, he's not doing his part to make more of an impact, but you're also naturally and intentionally minimalizing him to impact or to open up opportunity for other players. And I think even though there's only one basketball and only so many shots to go around, and yes, you still want to emphasize Fox, Sabonis, and Keegan Murray over anybody else, you can still give Herter his eight to 10 shots a night, give Barnes his seven to nine shots a night, not just all from the perimeter, but let them be involved. Let them be, get their touches because when these players are getting rewarded on the offensive end with the opportunity to play well and the opportunity to put up points and play the way they want to play, I think they're more committed to playing the way you want them to play on the other end of the floor. And I think that's what we've started to see here during this four game win streak is Mike is starting to involve those guys more offensively the same way he did last season. It's not really taking away from Keegan Murray or taking away from Fox or Sabonis. And those guys are now performing better in other areas. Herter's rebounding. Herter is blocking shots right now, for God's sakes. Harrison Barnes mm-hmm. is grabbing six or seven rebounds a game over this stretch. So they're they're impacting the game outside of scoring, but it's because you're involving them in the scoring more. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I find really interesting this year that's so different than last year, you know, for, for the few years that I've been to the games, you know, a team comes in on the on the second half of a back-to-back, they rest their starters, right? Mm-hmm. That was the way it was. Even up until last year, I mean, I was surprised even when they were going on the run, you were seeing that quite a bit. This year, you're not seeing that so much. How much of the, you know, and, and I want to emphasize, even though they're in fifth right now instead of third, they have, like you said, they're they're actually a little bit better on their record than they were last year. The West is a little bit stronger than it was last year. Um, but do you think that, uh, you know, the the perception of the Kings around the league is also having an effect? To some extent, yes. I think, I think, I think teams know teams clearly come in, and this has been a common thing in Sacramento for a long time, far beyond this, this season players and teams come into games against the Sacramento Kings, knowing that they're going to have their opportunities. Like mm-hmm. the, just that's just been the way it is. How many times have we seen players who are 
journeymen in the league or role players come in and have career highs against Sacramento or guys that are in a slump come in and, and shoot with confidence. Like it seems like somebody or some teams always shoot really, really well against Sacramento. The Orlando Magic the other night, the Orlando Magic are are one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the league. They came into Sacramento and, and put up a career high or a season high in three-point shooting, almost tied a franchise record in three-point shooting or something like that. It's just these inexplainable things that happen consistently to the Kings. And the only thing that makes sense to me is that Sacramento has this reputation of, I'm going to have my opportunities to get mine against the Kings. The Kings are going to mm-hmm. give me opportunities and players come in with that confidence and confidence is everything in shooting and everything in offense. Like if you mm-hmm. have confidence, if you play with confidence, typically things are going to go your way. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's one element of this Kings team that only defensive improvement will kind of shed that, um, shed that, that reputation that they have. But also the, 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 despite this Kings team primarily being filled with guys that have only known playoffs and only known winning in Sacramento, which is strange to say, for some reason, the, the Kings tradition over the last 16 years of, playing poorly against shorthanded teams it just continues to loom over this franchise and it i don't understand it uh, and yeah. I, I was frustrated with it and, and upset about it last night too because again that's a team in the memphis grizzlies the one thing you should have expected out of the grizzlies last night is that everybody who was playing was going to play hard because they literally have nothing to lose these guys are getting their first and maybe only real opportunity for big minutes in the nba they're going to play hard they're going to make mm-hmm. the most out of the opportunity and and that to some extent is going to be tough for a team who's already 42 or 43 games into a long season who's playing heavy minutes every single night. That might be tough for some of those guys to deal with. But at the same time, if you truly are the better team that you think you are, if you truly are a team that's building habits to eventually call yourself a champion, that doesn't mean that you have bad nights, but it was less what the Grizzlies did against the Sacramento Kings and more how the Kings played themselves. Again, the 19 turnovers, just the poor execution, the trying to be flashy when you're down two in the fourth quarter and you've already turned the ball over 16, 17 times. It's these little things that the Kings do that I'm just like, why are you the way you are? Why are you like this? And why has this been so consistent with this organization over the last 20 years? It it just is one of those unexplainable things about Sacramento Kings basketball. It's been so hard to watch it, it, you know it's like i said as somebody who loves basketball passionate about it you know when you sit there and you just watch a team that you know is better like e- even in the years when they were bad i knew they were better than they were playing Absolutely. you know what i mean and it just it was a and, and you're sitting there and you're just watching it and going this is just hard to watch it's hard to watch when you when you see things like that i mean it it doesn't make any sense. They've, it's It seems like for years the Kings have played to the level of the team that they're playing. So if they're if it's a big game, they play big, you know, except for that Celtics game where, gosh, the Celtics are just so good. I mean, they're just they're such a good team. But but then you you know, you you like you said, they'll they'll play the magic and it'll be a tight one or they'll play, you know, they'll play a Pistons team and you'll be like, I don't know. You know, are they going to are they going to be one of the three teams that loses to them? Right. And mm-hmm. so how do you get past that? If I knew that, I'd probably have a job with the organization, <laughs> truth be told, because it's something yeah. that they've struggled with for so long. Like to me, and I talked about this on the podcast last night, too, like a, a handful of years ago. Draymond Green said in an interview, he said, it's hard to get up and play against bad teams. And he literally mentioned the Sacramento Kings as one of the bad teams. It's hard to get up and play against. And us here in Sacramento, we were disgusted by those comments. Naturally, we were offended because he called out our team. But I mean, I was disgusted as well about here's a someone making millions upon millions of dollars. Now, typically I don't bring up how much money players are making because it's supply and demand. The NBA makes so much money off of these players. They deserve to get the chunks that they get. I'm, I'm team player when it t- comes to the, 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 the money that they're making. That being said, like it, it's hard to hear a player like that on an established team with that much success, who's been carried to championships like Draymond has by that, that golden state warriors core of, of Curry and Durant and of course no disrespect to Draymond he's been an important piece of that but to hear him make that comment and to think is that the approach that the Sacramento Kings had last night to the Memphis Grizzlies or is that the approach the Sacramento Kings have when they take on the Washington Wizards or whatever or whatever the worst team in the league is like if that's the case one shame on the Kings that's disgusting and and I get like I'm, I'm not someone who 
exerts myself physically 82 games a year plus practice in between in the playoffs on top of that. So I don't know the physical toll of what these players are putting themselves through. That being said, I know that it's their job to go through it. So the, what I expect from this team mentally is to not ever adopt that Draymond Green mindset. And also the Kings, at the very least, at least Draymond Green had championships behind him to where to some extent he'd earned that mindset. Sacramento mm -hmm. one year after bre breaking the NBA's longest playoff drought ever. And one year after being a first round playoff exit, they can't be mm -hmm. in a position where they're struggling to get up against certain teams because it's just difficult for them mentally to do that. And I think yeah. the mental weakness, the mental struggles of this Kings team have been the biggest hindrance of this group so far this season. The fact that they've been blown out so many times in losses. They still have a very good record. They're still nine games over 500, but in those losses, they have been blown out far too many times. To me, that suggests more of a mental than a physical weakness. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is when they're getting blown out, they're getting blown out by teams that they are not. 20 points better than the Kings. Correct. They're just really not. And that's, Correct. that's what's so, what's so hard about it. Now you, so, so there was a, there was a feeling during the, the years when they were bad, that somehow ownership, particularly Vivek being the guy who kind of was hindering the team. Uh, has there been a change in the relationship between him and, and Johnny general manager, Monty McNair versus other general managers that have kind of helped this this come along. I mean, I'm curious what it was other than Monty McNair coming in that changed the game really so quickly. I mean, it was a little, it was a huge, quick, quick mm -hmm. turnaround. What, it's what, really, what I mean, it's really simple. He brought basketball people in and allowed them to make basketball decisions. That's mm -hmm. the biggest difference. Now, I'm not saying that he's not involved in things. He's the owner. It's his prerogative. If he wants to be in the room on draft night, if he wants to share his opinion or be at the table when Monty McNair is discussing which players to bring, he, it's his prerogative. He owns the team and he can be involved. But uh, a criticism of Vex early on was that he tried to do too much and tried to be involved and, and would try and enforce what he wanted. Like he was a big fan of Buddy Heald because he was a former minority owner of the Golden State Warriors and he wanted to do what the Warriors were doing. And Buddy Heald is this three-point shooter to the level of Steph Curry and Klay Thompson to some extent, or at least to the volume. So mm -hmm. he, he loved Nick Stauskas. He was the reason the Sacramento Kings drafted Nick Stauskas. And we all know how that meant, right? Like he, he was too over involved now vivek story is incredible because he came over from india and he had absolutely nothing and he becomes this uh, this super success story in silicon valley and he did that by running his businesses and being in charge i imagine when you acquire something for the amount of money that he paid to acquire the sacramento kings it's hard to it's hard to have the background of building your empire and then buying a sports franchise and trusting the major decisions of that franchise to other people. I imagine mm -hmm. that's difficult to do and I can't necessarily speak on that, but the biggest, the biggest props that I could give Vivek Ranadive is that he has empowered basketball decision makers to make basketball decisions and he's gotten out of the way. We see Vivek yeah. cheering courtside. That's what you should see from an owner. If he's there taking pictures or having conversations with Monty McNair courtside, that's fine. If he's mm -hmm. seen in the draft room in the background clapping after the Kings made their draft selection of Keegan Murray, that's fine. Mm -hmm. I have no issue with that. But we what we've seen is the Kings went out and they got a general manager with years upon years of experience with the Houston Rockets under Daryl Morey and years of experience specifically bridging the gap between front office and coaching staff. And you allowed him to take the risk of trading Tyrese Halliburton, who he drafted or to mm. sign De'Aaron Fox to a max contract, which you kind of had to do, but you've allowed him to make those decisions. Some have been wrong. Most have been right. And here you are. Yeah. That Halliburton trade still stings. I know it had to happen. I know it had to happen, but I, I got to say it. And I love De'Aaron Fox. I, I do. Uh, I've met him, uh, you know, at a, at a season ticket event uh super nice guy my my son has an autograph from him on his t-shirt he just loves him but man hallie was so just like if you were going to build a point guard in the nba he is the guy and uh uh you know it, it just sounded to me and maybe you can comment on this a little bit it sounded to me because i was i remember when the trade happened i said listen if i was going to trade hallie or i was going to trade fox i would have traded fox but the contracts weren't going to work is that kind of was that kind of the thought or was it always Halliburton was going to get traded? Oh no, there was, I mean, think about it from this perspective too. Halliburton was 
the first draft pick ever of Monty McNair as a general manager, mm-hmm. as the general manager. Hallie is literally Monty's baby in, 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 mm-hmm. in, in many ways, at least from a basketball standpoint. Mm-hmm. So yes, like if, if, if the Kings had their way at that time, I think they would have traded De'Aaron Fox over Tyrese Halliburton. That being mm-hmm. said, Tyrese Halliburton had significantly more value than De'Aaron Fox, not just because he was this young, young, exciting player, but as a rookie, you're on a rookie scale contract. And beyond that contract, teams have contractual control over you. They have your rights. You become a restricted free agent instead of unrestricted. So Tyrese Halliburton has more value than De'Aaron Fox on a max deal who is underperforming at that time. That being mm-hmm. said, I don't think the Kings regret any any of no. the decisions that they've made. De'Aaron Fox, since Halliburton's departure, and since the addition of DeMontis Sabonis, who, by the way, De'Aaron Fox has been asking for a big man to compliment him for literally his entire career. Marvin Bagley was supposed to be that guy. That didn't work. Willie Cauley-Stein was supposed to be that guy. That didn't work. De'Aaron finally got what he needed in addition to the Kings getting what they needed. And that has opened up De'Aaron's game to another level to where we see De'Aaron's the star that he is. Whether you think Tyrese would be better for the Kings than De'Aaron, I mean, that's that's different opinions. Tyrese Halliburton is an all-star starter for a reason. In my mind, he's the best pure point guard in the league right now. And to say that this early in his career is pretty incredible. He is an absolute superstar, and the Indiana Pacers should be very, very pleased. I understand the buyer's remorse or seller's remorse, maybe to some extent, from Sacramento Kings fans because of what he's doing in Indiana. But also the Pacers haven't made the playoffs yet. The Pacers haven't won to the level that the Kings have won since this trade. The expectation should be that a team of two in their prime players and Fox and Sabonis should be outperforming a player who hasn't even entered their prime yet, who's as playing as well as Tyrese Halliburton is. I mean, maybe five, 10 years down the road when we have the context of a a Kings championship or a Pacers championship, we might be able to firmly say who won and lost that trade. But at this point in time, the Kings did not deserve the ridicule that they got for that trade. The Kings are very, very pleased with what they have in De'Aaron Fox and DeMondis Sabonis. And and both teams are in an excellent position to have a long, successful, minimum playoff, hopefully championship window. And what we all want is Kings and Pacers in the NBA Finals one day. That would be awesome. You know, I think that that is, in my lifetime, one of the few examples of a trade where literally everybody won. You know, I mean, because the Kings immediately got better. Mm-hmm. And there were some other things that, with that, you know, bringing in Monk and Herter really, you know, really solidified that. But, I mean, um, the way I heard it described was, well, you're trading away a potential all-star to get two all-stars, right? Uh and, uh, and and that that has proven to be true. But, man, it's hard when you see. And, and also the thing is, is, I mean, would Halliburton be putting up 20 assists when Sabonis is putting up, you know, seven, eight a game? Like, you know, you're running your offense through through Sabonis. Would they have complimented each other as well as De'Aaron and, and Sabonis does? You just never know. I think the answer is, is no. I think that's a clear yeah. no. And that's an easy no to make because Demonta Sabonis emphasizes – what De'Aaron Fox needs. DeMondis Sabonis can take the ball out of De'Aaron Fox's hands and, and Tyrese Halliburton, I think, needs... I think Pascal Siakam's a perfect player next to Tyrese because Pascal can can pass the ball, but Pascal is looking to to score first. Mm-hmm. DeMondis Sabonis' mm-hmm. first instinct is to pass the basketball. His first mm-hmm. in- instinct is to get his teammates involved. And when you have a primary scoring point guard like De'Aaron Fox is, that's exactly what you need next to him. So in many ways, like I don't like the Kings, even if the Pacers said yes, I don't know how comfortable the Kings would have been trading De'Aaron Fox for DeMontis Sabonis. I don't think they w- would have felt it works as good as mm-hmm. Sabonis and Fox together here in SAC. Sure. Now, let me ask you. So, I mean, uh, did a little research on you. I know you're, you're born and raised here in Sacramento and, uh, what was it that you clearly understand the game and and know it? Uh, you know, is that from being involved in sports broadcasting, or have you always been passionate about basketball? Well, I grew up a diehard fan of the Kings, and that's what makes what I do so much fun and so unique. Now, you're said in media not to cover your favorite teams because it's torture, and and the media landscape is changing to where having a little more bias in, in sports journalism is okay as long as you're still professional with it as much as you can be, which I tow that line every single day. Mm -hmm. But 
I mean, I, it, it comes from a place of a passion about this team. I was spoiled as a kid. I grew up with the late 90s and early 2000s. I, I grew up with Jay Will and Mike Bibby and Chris Weber and Vlade and Peja and Christie. And, and, and I grew up hating Kobe Bryant and hating Shaquille O'Neal and the Los Angeles Lakers for what they did to the Kings and hating referees because of 2002. Like, it, it was always a passion of mine, and that continued throughout my childhood into my teens and young adulthood. And I was always the kid that, when I played basketball, I was the, the the smartest player on the court in terms of I understood the game and had maybe the highest basketball IQ on the team, which is saying nothing when you're playing with 13, 14 year olds. Right. But I was never good. Like I, I, I rebounded and blocked shots. That's what I did. I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't have a jump shot outside of like an elbow, the elbow jumper. Mm-hmm. Like I couldn't, mm-hmm. I couldn't shoot. I wasn't an offensive player. I did not have dribble moves. Like I just, I was never the athlete, but I had the mm-hmm. IQ and, mm-hmm. and I discovered that, there are a lot more avenues to pro sports than actually playing. There's coaching. And like, if you Mm -hmm. look at a court next time you go to a game or even watch on television, look at the amount of people around the court and the jobs that they're doing and how many different positions there are available. Think about how many people are involved in just a broadcast of a televised sporting event and how many Mm -hmm. jobs there are. There are ways to be there. I am an event guy. I will always choose to be at the event versus watching from my couch. I always Mm want to be there. Mm-hmm. So there's so many ways to get there. And this was my way to get there. So I uh, I went to college, was interested initially in play-by-play broadcasting. and did some of that in college, turned that into an internship with uh, 1140 Radio, which is the flagship radio station of the Sacramento Kings. Worked there for, for many, many years. Got the podcast by kind of a, a circumstance and have built Locked on Kings over the last around six years to where we've done over 1,600 episodes at this point. And then it became a TV opportunity going to ABC 10. So in very many ways, I've been lucky. It's been right place, right time. It's been hungry, but it's always stayed into the mindset of I wanted to work in sports and I wanted to be there, whatever I could mm-hmm. do to be there. And mm-hmm. that's how it's, that's how it's kind of worked. It's a very, it's a very strange journey. I never had to leave. I went to school here in Sacramento. I didn't have Sacramento's a top 20 television market. I didn't have to go to, the boondocks or somewhere to, to, to get my experience and then come back to SAC. It just, I built it organically here in Sacramento. It's a very unique journey. And I think that's how, like, that's what it has to be in media nowadays is you have to be willing to do more than just your job title. And you have to be willing to, to take risks and go in avenues that are not straightforward. Like not everybody can take the path of going to Syracuse, getting your broadcast journalism degree. And then there's a job waiting for you and you just climb the ladder. There's just different ways to go about it. My way is very unique, but I've been very fortunate that it's kept me right next to the team and the organization that I love so much. Why do they say it's torture, uh, you know, covering your favorite team? Is it just because you're seeing the ins and outs or because you're biased and you have to be objective? It's a mixture of that. Yeah, you're biased and you have to be objective. Like one of the big things is there's no cheering in the in the in the press box area. Like that's just mm. a, a kind of a code of ethics thing. So I'm there and watching the Kings do something or hit a big shot or whatever. Like I remember Bogdan Bogdanovich's game winner against the Los Angeles Lakers and Golden One mm. Center a handful of years ago. And I can't say anything, but my fists are clenched underneath the table and <laughs> or I'm watching this uh I'm watching the Kings during the playoffs and I'm so emotionally invested in the Kings beating the Golden State Warriors, but I have to sit there and remain calm and it kind of, so that part is difficult. I wasn't able to keep my emotions in check though when I was in Portland, when the Kings finally uh, ended their playoff drought. There were, there were some tears that night to put it that, uh, put it lightly, but um, there's that element. And then there's the element of like, you're so emotionally invested into an organization and then you start to learn the ins and outs of that organization. You start to con- get connected with people who are your heroes. And you know, the saying like you, your heroes live long enough to become villains type thing. Like, yeah. like I, I have tremendous respect for De'Aaron Fox, one of my favorite players in the league. I naturally through what I do, I have pissed off the Aaron Fox before and had mm-hmm. interactions with the Aaron Fox that are not, not fun fan to player interactions type thing. Right. right? I, and it's just, your job is not to be friends with these people. Now, mm-hmm. the one thing I always tell people about interacting with professional athletes is they're just human beings. They have the same emotions we do. They have interests outside of their sport. And oftentimes the conversations that you have with players about their interests, other than their game are the best conversations you're going to have. I've had long mm-hmm. conversations with De'Aaron Fox about playing video games. Cause that's something that mm-hmm. both of us really enjoy. Mm-hmm. So like, it's just a very strange and very 
different dynamic. So when you're doing that, when you're emotionally removed from the situation, it's kind of a lot easier than when you're emotionally invested and you want these guys to like you because you love this organization and you're rooting for them and you want them to succeed and you want to cheer with the fans, but you're not supposed to do any of that. You're not allowed to do any of that and you have to remain maintain a level of professionalism. So Locked on mm-hmm. Kings is my kind of outlet and escape from that. While I'm in ABC 10 mode, I'm at the game. It's serious. I'm asking questions. I'm keeping the, the cheering uh, aside and keeping kind of the fan out as much as I possibly can. When it comes to podcast time, that is an opportunity for me to kind of let that out and to relate to Sacramento Kings fans, which I think is what has made the podcast successful is because they know listeners know that I have the access that I have, but I'm in the same boat as them. I'm not somebody who's only been here for a couple of years. I went through the trenches of the playoff drought with them, with everybody. So we all feel the same things. We see it, feel the same joy, feel the same frustration, and hopefully I can bring them with me into the behind the scenes as much as I can. Yeah, that's, and that's awesome too. And, and I got to say as somebody who, you know, I bought, I bought season tickets, uh, you know, five, six years ago, probably now, uh, just so I had an opportunity to take my kids, you know, I have four kids and I, it's an excuse for me to have a one-on-one with them. Yeah. But one of the things I didn't realize was going to be so interesting. And I moved into a seats right now. I'm on the baseline on the visitors, you know, the visitors bench mm-hmm. baseline on the other side, mm-hmm. about two rows in. And, uh, I'm, I'm next to, he see, he see him all the time on the big screen. He looks like Santa Claus. His name is Mark, yep. you know, big, long beard. He knows everybody. He's been a key. Anyway, I sit right forever. next to him. Yeah. And I sit right next to him and his wife. And and everybody around me is a season ticket holder. So my kids know everybody. There it's just like a it's like a family. We're mm-hmm. all there and we all are feeling it together. And and I think that that's one of the reasons why your podcast is so successful is you're one of us. You know what I mean? You're one of the rare people who are are in there. And and that's why like quite frankly like I said I went to high school with Matt Barnes, right? And played basketball with him. Like one of the things that I find most endearing about him, he's by the way, he's always been that hothead. Yeah, that, that he's always been that way. He's one of a but, kind. Yeah, but but the thing about him is, is he's one of us. You know what I mean? Like he's just Matt. The twins, the t- you know, the two uh, six foot black girls. You know, I w- they went to my high school too, right? And they they sit right there on the front row next to it. They're they're one of us. You see what I'm saying? And that's something that's unique. I think about the Kings is that. I've never gone to a Kings game where I didn't run into somebody I know. Hmm. You know what I mean? We're all, we're all just there. And, and having you there is, is just so cool because like I said, you're, you're, you've been here forever and you're, you're kind of uh, you, you bring a different perspective. Now, one thing I want to ask you though, is who's your favorite player to talk to? Ooh. Like who, who do you, like who's, who's the guy you connect with the most? Ooh, on this current roster. I don't know. I haven't had too many since COVID are opportunities to have conversations with these players outside of the, the media and work environment has, has definitely slowed down. Um, I, I relate to De'Aaron Fox a lot with, he's a new father uh, mm. and I have a two year old at home um, mm. and we're, we're into video games and we're kind of into some nerdy stuff. Uh, I, I relate with different guys. Like my favorite guy to talk to, I would say right now is Mike Brown. I mean, Mike just right. has a tremendous personality. He's fun. He's like, I had an amazing interaction. I, you can see behind me, I have a stack where we're right there. I have a stack of Dungeons and Dragons books. Like I'm a total nerd. This Lord of the Rings <laughs> behind me. I'm a total nerd that somehow found himself into a sports landscape. And and I just was, I, I fit into two very different social classes, the jock and the nerd kind of mixed into one. Um, I feel you, man. I and, feel you. And so like, and I had an interaction with Mike Brown during a press conference last season. I, I put out on social media or something, something about Dungeons and Dragons. I don't know. And it was like the day before a game and we're sitting there during pregame press conference. And I asked Mike a question. He starts answering the question. He starts squinting at me. I was like, Oh God, what did I do? And he stops himself. He stops his question or his answer. And he goes, I heard you're into Dungeons and Dragons. I'm like, oh God, where's this going to go? Here's a professional coach that's going to rip me and call me a nerd and hang me on a flagpole with by my underwear. But and he said he was into it when he was a kid, and his son's super into it. And just interactions like that, like that, just doesn't happen. Um, yeah. Like I had great conversations when Costa Kufos was here. Costa was yeah. awesome because he had so many interests out of basketball. Super mm-hmm. into cars, super into movies, super mm-hmm. into politics. And he would he mm-hmm. would just talk about all this stuff. And that's what he would do on the team flights and the planes is he'd enjoy those hobbies and stuff like that. We have a lot of gamers on this King squad. Davion Mitchell, super into gaming. Malik Monk's into gaming. Like a lot of gamers mm-hmm. on this squad too. So 
different players I relate to for different reasons. Again, they're just human beings. They're just people. They don't like being talked about negatively, just like you and I don't like being talked about negatively, even if to some extent that's my job to talk about them negatively, especially when they have a performance like they did last night. But it's, it's, they're, they're still just people. So I don't know if I, I guess Mike Brown is my answer to your question of who I'm most enjoying talking to right now, but it's easy and fun to relate to different guys. We pick on Kevin Herter all the time because he's a New York sports fan, Yankees fans. Mm. So he was miserable this season, Giants fans. <laughs> so he was miserable this season. So we, mm. we kind of mess with him and have fun with him about that. So it's just, you, you try and emphasize human interaction as much as you possibly can, at least I do in, in, in the, the media industry, because I don't want these players to just think that I'm there to collect a paycheck by making their lives difficult, or certainly not putting them in any kind of position to where they could say something and I could take that and run with it and use it against them in any kind of way. I'm not interested mm. in that. That's not the kind yeah. of journalism that I'm trying to do. Again, I'm covering my favorite players. I'm covering my favorite team. Why would I want to put them in a position where they are not succeeding or they are not looking good? I don't think that's mm. that's appropriate or ethical at all. Yeah, it's it's really fun to hear stuff like that, like that. You know, Darren Fox is into gaming, Malik Monk and Davion Mitchell, and all Malik's that and super all into that. fashion too. Talk to Malik about clothes; he'll talk to you in <laughs> golf. Malik got super into golf this off season because of Keegan Murray. Keegan got him into golf, so talk to Malik about golf and clothes, and he won't stop talking. <laughs> he strikes me as a guy that's actually a pretty fun like conversation. A lot he of seems fun. like yeah. So well, so tell me now. I have I ask uh, a few questions to everybody, and it's just kind of life questions more than anything. You know, um, and by the way, I can tell you, you're a new father. I have four kids. They're 17, 15, uh, 13, almost 13, and 10. And I can tell you that your time is the hardest, and it only gets better. <laughs> like. Two years old, I I didn't think I was that great of a father when they were two because they just they just cry, they poop, they eat. You know what I mean? Like, but when they get to the point where you get to have, is it a boy or a girl? My son. It's my son Arthur. Okay, yeah, yeah. So when your son gets to be the age where, like, I think the coolest thing I ever got to do was my oldest son, who only knew the Kings sucking, right? I took him to the first playoff game in Golden One. And that was like, and now he's on his varsity basketball team. He didn't play. He played up until freshman year and then he quit because of COVID. And he, quite frankly, because he didn't want to do conditioning, <laughs> you know? I don't blame and him. so, yeah. And then, uh, and then he fell in love with the Kings last year and he's now the starting center on his, on his varsity basketball team. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and that's like, we, we connect in that way. Now I'm getting text messages from my son with articles about who's getting, who's on the trade block, you know, mm -hmm. things like that. It's just a way to connect. And mm -hmm. so as a new father, I can tell you, you know, this, this time is tough, but it only gets better. Huh, know, I'm, no, only. we're enjoying it. We're enjoying it. He's fun. He's, he's like a little me at this point in time, which drives my wife nuts. And and, and I, <laughs> I look at it and see myself and go, Oh no. Uh, yeah. But no, he's, he's a ton of fun right now. Also, um, my what's crazy is my son and Harrison Barnes's I think daughter I, I always get it mixed up I think it's a daughter were born on the exact same day February oh, uh, or uh, August 25th of, of 2021 and both of our wives are named Brittany which is always oh. a fun way that I've been able to relate to Harrison so every time I, I get an opportunity to ask Harrison how his little ones doing he'll ask me the same thing because we're in the same boat together so yeah no that's awesome well I'll tell you what though girls are much different Oh, yes, man. They're yeah. Sure. Like, the boys, you know, I can handle the breaking stuff, you know, but it's the like emotional upheaval that comes with the women, <laughs> the girls. That's a rough one. But but here are the questions I have for you. What, what first one? What would you say is your um, your biggest success in life? Mm. Wow, that's deep. Um, I mean, I think the 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 the. The cop-out answer and the correct answer is always your family and your life and your wife and your child. And I'm, I'm very fortunate for what, uh, what I have at home and, and, and having a healthy family and a happy family. So that's certainly up there, but, but to be a little bit different, honestly, like I, I'm just really proud of being able to turn a passion into something that is, is a career that allows me to sustain the family that I have. Like I never had to waver from my love of the Sacramento Kings and turn, I turned that into something successful. I knew what I've wanted to do from a very young age and I've just made it happen. Again, the journey was weird, 
wasn't how I expected it to go, but <clears throat> I still got to a place that I'm happy to be at. I still have a long way to go. So I've higher expectations and bigger goals and want to make more money and all those things, right? Not satisfied with where I'm at, but ultimately I'm, I'm most proud of, or I guess most satisfied with being able to turn what I love into something that I can do every day. And that's, I don't know if that's common or uncommon. People do it in different journeys, but I've never had to take a different journey. It was just, this was what I did and I made it happen. Well, the cool thing about that is, though, is that that's a lesson, right? Is that you hear the old adage, uh, if you, if you, uh, uh, you know, if you love what you do, you don't work a day in your life. Yep. You know, I mean, money aside, like the fact that you're sustaining and and being able to do something you love. I mean, I'm sure that that is very fulfilling for you. Sure. Absolutely. You know? So what would you say is your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? Oh, boy. Um. But I think my biggest failure has to do with like, to some extent, to some extent, like ego is, is a thing in sports and a thing in media. Like it just, mm -hmm. it is like, and, and, and mm -hmm. to, to make it and to be successful in, in sports and in media, I think you have to have a level of selfishness and God knows that I do, but I grew up through this industry, right? Like I was, mm -hmm. I was a young college kid when I got my first internship, working with professionals, making comments, saying things, doing things, acting a certain way that I just needed to grow out of. And I still am growing out. I'm mean, 29 years old. Like I still make mm -hmm. mistakes every single day, say stupid stuff. Like I, I allow my emotions to, to, to handle some of the things that I say. Now I always try and keep a level of professionalism, but if I'm pissed off with how the Sacramento Kings are playing, I'll, I'll say it. And, and yeah. so there, there's, I guess a very broad way of answering that question is like some of my biggest failures have just been like the growing pains and, and just mm -hmm. having to experience things and do things and go through things and listen to people talk about me a certain way, learn how to deal with people on social media and people on the internet that are not nice, getting emails from people that, that are borderline harassment and not trying to internalize that dealing with your family getting messages and your family getting contacted on their social media platforms because they are affiliated with you and somebody has found you in that way. Like it's just, it's kind of part of the game and I I've had to grow up through it and I've burned bridges at times and I've made, uh, I've pissed people off. I've also pissed people off that have turned out to be great friends and great mentors of mine that I I'm still close with to this day. So I made a lot of mistakes. I have made a lot of mistakes. We'll continue to make a lot of mistakes. I'm certainly nowhere close to perfect. Um, and those growing pains I'm ashamed of in, in some ways, embarrassed of in a lot of ways, but they needed to happen to get me here. Yeah. And that's the thing, man. It, it's funny. You know, I've got, a, I'm like you, you know, I was a bit of a ruffian growing up, you know, got involved in wrestling and the, if we've learned anything through Vince McMahon, they're not always the most, <laughs> there's quite a bit of debauchery uh, involved in some of those people. But like, you know, the thing is, is that uh, as long as you learn from the failures, they're not real failures. You know what I mean? They just grow and turn you who you are. So last question, and I appreciate your time, by the way. I know you're a busy guy. And so I appreciate you being being willing to come on and talk Kings with me for so long. But, uh, you know, at some point down the road, you're going to pass away. And when you do, you know, there's someone's going to be a funeral. There'll be a eulogy. What mm -hmm. would you say is the uh, one thing you hope somebody says about you in your eulogy? Wow. Um, I, I think it's twofold. One, I think I want to be an example of if you're passionate about something, you can, you can find a way to do it, but that's kind of a cliche. I want to be known. I want to be known as a, as a good person. I want to be known as someone who was kind, someone that when I got to the level that I want, even at this point that I'm at now, but when I got to the next level of my career, that I helped the next generation, that I helped people, that I, that I made mm -hmm. people feel something. And, and I didn't ever take for granted, like, uh, just because I have this platform and I'm so fortunate to have the diehard Kings fan. I'm fortunate to have the fan base that the Kings have that support me. It's not the other way around that when they take the time, when they listen to me every single day and they take the time to meet me or say hi to me in person or send me an email or send, make a comment or something that I'm not too big and I'm not too important enough to not spend the time to talk to them and, and to thank them and, and to appreciate them and, and meet them halfway. Um, 
I guess I, I just want to be known as someone who was, who was kind, who was helpful, who was fun, who was passionate about uh, what they did. And, and I don't, I don't need to inspire anybody. If I do great, I, I, that's, I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested necessarily in making a boatload of money. I just want people to, I want people to feel about me to some extent, the same way they feel about Jerry Reynolds and Gary Gerald, right? Just mm -hmm. two legacy, amazing human beings that, have been around a game and around a team for most of their lives and have handled themselves and carried themselves the right way and are absolute legends and icons in their own right that you really can't say a bad thing about. If I could be that, then I would be, that would be a tremendous success. Awesome. Well, it's, it's great to have you on. It's been grateful. Uh, I've been grateful that you're just willing to talk about something that we're both passionate about. It's been a lot of fun. Where can people find you? Uh, the Locked On Kings podcast is available on YouTube, available really any place that you listen to podcasts. It's five days a week, uh, 30 minutes typically, kind of bite-sized daily uh, podcasts after Kings games, before games, around the trade deadline, all year long. Uh, we have podcasts for you, tons of episodes, so if I'm, you, you might get overwhelmed. So you only have to listen to one or two episodes a week if you really <laughs> if that's all you can handle. If you listen once, that's, that's one time that I'm grateful for, so... Um, check out the Lockdown Kings podcast there. And then, of course, if you're in the Sacramento area and interested in sports beyond just the Sacramento Kings, I work for ABC 10 as a sports anchor over there covering high school sports, covering I'll be in Las Vegas for the Super Bowl with the 49ers going to the Super Bowl. I'll be over there for that. Uh, so just covering sports. If you're interested in sports, it's my passion. It's what I love to do as well. And then you can find me on Twitter, too, at Matt George Sack. And let's talk sports over there. Awesome. Well, Matt, appreciate it. For those of you who've been listening, uh, subscribe. Uh, we got a lot more fun stuff coming up. Matt, let's uh, you know, let's do this again at some point. I'd love to have you on again. It would be my pleasure, my friend. Thanks for having me, and let's do it soon. All right, man. Thanks a lot.